Ciao amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Vittorio De Sica's 1963 film Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, or Ieri, Oggi, Domani. First, as a couple quick updates, The Eight Mountains from this year's Cannes Film Festival has been acquired by Sideshow and Janus Films for release in North America. Directed by Felix von Groningen and Charlotte Vandermeech, this adaptation of a novel by Paolo Cognetti is a story of friendship starring Luca Marinelli and Alessandro Borghi set in Aosta in the very northwest of Italy. This movie won the Grand Prix at Cannes, so I'm excited to see this critically acclaimed film starring one of my favorite actors of Italian cinema, Luca Marinelli. I also recently posted a review of Simone Godano's newest film, Marilyn's Eyes, which is now available to stream on Netflix. I really enjoyed his previous film, An Almost Ordinary Summer, a comedy about adult children whose fathers come out and fall in love late in life. And this newest movie, Marilyn's Eyes, is another socially-minded romantic comedy about a middle-aged man and woman who find connection through a mental health program. Two patients in the program, Clara and Diego, grow close as they form a restaurant cooperative along with others in their program. Looking at others in their group though, including a patient with Tourette's and others whose conditions are deeply challenging, they become more the punchline of jokes, and at the very worst, they become tools that are just used by the two main characters, who are arguably the more dominant of the group. While the two aren't necessarily cruel or causing harm, they do take advantage of their positions within the therapy setting to serve their own self-interest of Diego to reunite with his daughter and of Clara to turn her fantasy into reality. This movie does shine a spotlight on difficult material with characters going through hard times, but it still marginalizes others whose circumstances are possibly more challenging. There are occasional moments that are genuinely touching, but it doesn't quite hit the mark as a socially conscious comedy. The Venice Film Festival has also announced its lineup with the following Italian films in competition. Il Signore delle Formiche, directed by Gianni Amelio. L'Immensità, directed by Emanuele Crialese. Chiara, directed by Susanna Nicchiarelli. And Monica, directed by Andrea Palaoro. A few new restorations are also featured as part of the Venice Classics selection. Teresa La Ladra, directed by Carlo Di Palma. La Marcia su Roma, directed by Dino Rizzi, and La Volia Mata, directed by Luciano Salce. Now to move on to our main subject for today, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. I first saw this movie in 2015 on TCM, and I was looking forward to it as a Vittorio De Sica movie I hadn't seen that won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, not to mention that it was a comedy in color, quite a shift from the black and white neorealist dramas of his that I was used to. I remember really enjoying the first and third parts as being very funny and charming. The middle part, albeit the shortest, left me a bit colder, 
though this may be an intentional tonal impact given its Milanese upper-class setting versus the warm Neapolitan family or the endearing Roman neighbors of the first and third parts. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow is a triptych, a three-part movie made up of individual stories. The Yesterday section is set in Naples, the Today is set in Milan, and the Tomorrow is set in Rome. All three vignettes star Sophia Loren and Marcello Mastroianni, playing three very different couples in each respective city. The first section, Yesterday, focuses on Adelina of Naples. A working-class family is supported by the mother who sells black market cigarettes. She's arrested for failing to pay a fine, but finds a technicality that says women who are pregnant or within six months of giving birth cannot be imprisoned. She and her husband churn out child after child in an ongoing cycle until several kids later, he's worn out and exhausted. She considers becoming impregnated by another man, but decides to stay true and instead face her prison sentence. Her community bands together to raise money to free her and petition for her pardon, and she is able to return home. The second section, the Today story, is about Anna of Milan. A wealthy young woman is having an affair with a man of lower economic status, but who is nonetheless successful. They drone on about their bourgeoisie troubles, and it's clear that they aren't on quite the same level, and she recklessly drives them through gentle fender benders before ultimately wrecking the car. Another man drives by and offers to pick her up. She leaves her car and her lover behind. The final story, the tomorrow section, features Mara of Rome. Mara is a prostitute who strikes up a friendship with Umberto, a young man staying next door. He's studying for the priesthood, and the two form a charming platonic connection. Umberto's grandmother, Mara's neighbor, becomes furious when she sees the two talking and forbids them from speaking together. Umberto declares he'll leave the seminary, and Mara vows to set him on his path to back to priesthood. All the while, Mara is driving a client of hers, Augusto, crazy with anticipation. When all is settled with Umberto, it looks as though Mara and Augusto will finally consummate, but then she remembers her vow of celibacy, leaving him more wired than ever. While the three explore different socioeconomic settings, the lower classes of Naples, the bourgeoisie of Milan, and the nouveau riche of Rome, there are common threads recurring throughout the entire film. In each story, it's the woman of the relationship who's in power. In Naples, Adelina is the breadwinner for her family, selling contraband cigarettes on the street, while her husband Carmine loafs around. She has full autonomy on both their bodies, commanding him to impregnate her six months after each new child to ensure she's either always pregnant or always nursing, keeping her out of jail. In Milan, Anna is wealthier and a member of higher society than her lover Renzo. She picks him up in her car, they drive out to the countryside, and she jumps ship when they wreck the car and another driver offers to pick her up. Even on an emotional level, when Renzo tries to talk seriously about their relationship and address the economic gap between them, she never lets him get deeper into the topic, steering the conversation back to her and her troubles. In Rome, Mara is a prostitute who Augusto, visiting from Bologna, is dying to see. 
He showers her with gifts and flowers, and he's got one thing on his mind as she deals with the conflict with her neighbors next door. Their physical relationship is all on her terms, even refusing Augusto, whom she genuinely cares for, when she's taken a vow of celibacy and gets him to pray alongside her. It's certainly fun to watch Sofia Loren boss Marcello Mastroianni around on its own terms, but in the first and third segments in particular, it's not just indulgent or a play on traditional gender roles. Adelina and Mara's dominant roles are from a place of greater awareness and responsibility for those around them, a maternal instinct kicking in to take the reins and care for others. As goofy as Adelina's pregnancy scheme is, she's the only one in the family who's able to work after her husband got injured during the war. If Adelina goes off to jail, there's no one left to provide for her family. For Mara, her motherly affection for Umberto, the young seminarian next door, becomes her greatest drive. Whether deservedly or not, she feels some guilt or at least responsibility for his rash decision to abandon the priesthood, and she takes it upon herself to convince him to reconnect with his grandmother and even offering her saint a vow of celibacy so that he may return to his vocation. Earlier in the segment, she talks about asking her saint, Maurillo, for money. And here, she's taking that same relationship and connection with her saint, usually focused on helping herself, and instead using it to guide someone else. Mara and Adelina's commanding natures are funny personality traits, but also necessities, given their greater awareness, responsibility, and compassion for others. Another major element, certainly not uncommon in Italian film, is that of religion. This comes up most prominently in the Tomorrow section, Mara of Rome. Mara is a prostitute who sparks up a friendship with her next-door neighbor's teenage son Umberto, who is studying to become a priest. Their choice of personal saints reveals more about their characterization and the roles they play in society. Mara and Umberto form a strong connection, genuinely interested in getting to know one another and asking deep spiritual questions. Umberto says that who he prays to is Saint John, which can be taken as John the Baptist, a New Testament figure who baptizes and guides many, from the devout to even tax collectors, soldiers, and Christ himself. Saint John is also described as a testifier and confessor to hear others' confessions and to provide spiritual support. As Mara and Umberto speak, Mara admits that she feels very comfortable with him and even says that their conversation makes her want to go to confession, giving him a role like that of St. John the Baptist. In this same discussion, Mara replies that her saint is St. Maurillo, or Maurilius of Angers. She says that she's picked him because he's lesser known, so he'd have more time for her. St. Maurilius was dedicated to salvation. In his lifetime, he destroyed a pagan temple and helped build a new church and monastery in its place. He also took this time to perform miracles, helping the sick, the blind, and the possessed. Mara's character as a prostitute is not made out as someone who should be punished or lesser than for her profession, but her devotion to a saint whose life's work is focused on salvation and aiding those on the edge of society who need the most help reveals perhaps how she feels about her own place in society and to be truly seen. 
The music of yesterday, today, and tomorrow also plays a major role, not only to surface the character's innermost feelings, but also to highlight the collective or individual experiences of each setting. Starting first with the yesterday segment, Adelina of Naples. Adelina and Carmine sing Core Ingrato, or Ungrateful Heart, to each other throughout the story. They recall their youth when Adelina would sing it to Carmine when they were first courting, to tell him that she was expecting. And she sings it throughout the film, each time as she becomes pregnant again, to evade being arrested. And as the story climaxes, Carmine and his friends sing it to Adelina in person, but this time it's to let her know that the remission for her sentence has been paid and that they've petitioned for her to be pardoned. Core Ingrato is a Neapolitan song from the point of view of a man to his lover, Katari, who has rejected him and broken his heart. The lyrics say, Ungrateful heart, you took my life, everything has passed, and no more tears. It's a song after a breakup, so it's funny to see it used in very endearing ways here in the movie. It's used in courtship to celebrate a new baby and a commitment that freedom is on its way. Another musical moment comes when Adelina becomes pregnant the first time to avoid a prison sentence. All the neighbors are excited and word spreads quickly throughout town. As the townspeople whisper to one another, a group of boys overhear and take the words she's expecting and make it into a chant. She's expecting cha-cha-cha. As Adelina triumphantly marches through with a big grin, having outsmarted the authorities. Within the context of the story, both performances of Cora Ingrato between two lovers and the cha-cha-cha sung by a group of kids are public ones in which the community has taken stock in and is invested. The Naples community rallies together to support Adelina throughout the film, from hiding her furniture to raising money for her remission. Her story is one that's shared and celebrated collectively just as these moments of song are for all to hear and to partake in. The songs of the Tomorrow section, Mara and Rome, speak to the relationship between the romantic leads, Mara and Augusto. Alone in her apartment, Mara sings La Partita di Pallone, or The Soccer Game, by Rita Pavone, with the lyrics, Why, why on Sundays you always leave me alone to go and see the football game? Why, why don't you take me one time? Who knows, who knows if you truly go to see your team, or if you leave me with the excuse. Her concerns with Augusto are less about fidelity, but more of loneliness. His real home is in Bologna, but he comes and goes to Rome when it suits him, not when she wants or needs him. The couple do sing it together, though, towards the end of the film, once the boy Umberto is back off to the seminary and it's a mission accomplished for the two of them. Like with Cora Ingrato from the Adelina and Naples story, it's like this song serves as their theme music, recurring throughout the segment. The second song in the Tomorrow section, and one of the most memorable sequences of the film, is Abajur, when Mara finally agrees to what Augusto's been waiting for this whole time. She performs a dance with lyrics that say, Lampshade that spreads the blue light from up there you sigh, who knows why. Perhaps you too are looking for someone who is no longer there. The moment suddenly cuts short 
when Mara remembers her vow of celibacy and rejects Augusto's advances for the time being. From his side, he's expecting someone who will heed to his desires, but he's looking for someone who is no longer there, and her devotion to God outweighs her feelings for Augusto. In addition to the music, another fun cultural tidbit of this story is the backstory of Trega Lecour, also in the Roman segment. When the grandmother next door comes to talk to Mara, she offers Strega as a way to calm her neighbor down and sit down to have a real discussion. Strega is an herbal liqueur with saffron. It is enjoyed as a digestive. In Italian, Strega literally means witch, and the name is a reference to folklore of the witches of Benevento, the town that the liqueur comes from. The legend is that Benevento is the gathering place of witches, and so the liqueur's name made in the town of Benevento, was inspired by this tale. What's funny too, is that in the scene that they are enjoying Strega, the grandmother, who's feeling down, even calls herself a witch for having pushed her grandson away and driving him from the ministry. She believes herself to be a Strega while sipping Strega. The different places featured in the film also play on their respective histories and at times stereotypes. Adelina in Naples, set in Naples of course, is a story of a lower class family whose source of income is through selling black market cigarettes. We get the frequently seen image of the impoverished South in its economic state as a result of the unification of Italy. While not straying into mafioso stereotypes, the fact that their business is in illegal activity reinforces the idea that in the South, they work outside of the law and distrust authority figures. Some of the specific locations mentioned in this segment include Forcella, the historic center of town, which is where Adelina is from, and Porta Capuana, where a mystery man who's come to bless the marital bed to bring fertility, where he's from. The second sequence, Anna in Milan, reinforces the image of Milan as a wealthy, bourgeoisie, and image-focused. Anna's chief concern is of her Rolls-Royce, prioritizing her luxury car over her lover and even a child that they've nearly run over with their car. Her wealth comes from industry, part of the Italian economic miracle, a period that brought Italy from a very poor, mostly rural nation into a global power player in the economy. The third story, Mara in Rome, is set entirely in and around the Piazza Navona, What's interesting is that no one in this story that we see is actually from Rome. Mara is from Anticoli, northeast of the city. The neighbor's family is from Lucania, in the south. And Augusto is from Bologna, further up north. Rome, as the capital city and middle of the country, is like a crossroads of people from all over. Rome, as a central meeting place, is further driven home by the story's setting at the Piazza Navona. One of the landmarks of the piazza, which is shown in the film, is the Fontana dei Quattro Fiumi, the Fountain of the Four Rivers. Built by John Lorenzo Bernini, this staggering fountain features four river gods, representing the major rivers of the four continents within the Catholic papacy, Africa, Europe, Asia, and the Americas. In this fountain, and in Rome itself, is the meeting point of people from all over the world, 
a spiritual unification represented by the fountain and reflected in the makeup of the story's characters. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow came out in 1963 at a unique moment in time for its two lead actors and for its director. It was in the midst of the Hollywood in the Tiber era, an explosion of interest and visibility of Italian stars and settings within popular Hollywood filmmaking. Sophia Loren was at the height of her global stardom, having recently won numerous awards for her shattering dramatic performance in Two Women, and was in the midst of a five-picture contract deal with Paramount Pictures, bringing her to Hollywood with films like Houseboat and It Started in Naples. Marcello Mastroianni was also at a career peak in the midst of some of his most famous movies, including La Dolce Vida, Eight and a Half, Divorce Italian Style, and many more, all within the span of a few years. And for director Vittorio De Sica, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow became one of the better-known comedies he directed during this period. His major breakthroughs were in neorealist classics like Shoeshine, Bicycle Thieves, and Umberto D., and he saw continued success through both comedy and drama. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow may be a career high point, having won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, and as a lighter comedy in a classic studio style, it couldn't feel more different than the striking, poignant neorealism that first put him on the map. Reflecting on this movie, in some ways it leans into the stereotypes of each region. In particular, what stings a bit is that the yesterday segment is Naples. It could be that it's referring to the outdated, antiquated laws and justice system, but it also probably refers to the perception of the South as backwards and as a culture being stuck in the past. To be fair, one could read a similar idea for Milan, a capital of fashion and industry, and it's portrayed in the film as a place of emptiness and moral bankruptcy. For Rome, as the Tomorrow segment, it represents a sort of melting pot, even the cross-section within the apartment building, with a prostitute and a prospective priest living right next door to each other, reflects the cross-section of humanity of who all calls Rome their home. A couple movies that Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow remind me of include Divorce Italian Style and Seduced and Abandoned, which also dissect and ridicule outdated laws, as well as Mama Roma and Knights of Cabiria, which are both movies with prostitutes as their leads and who are deeply developed and compassionate figures, not judged for who they are, but who are portrayed in authentic human ways. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow the show on social media, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao amici. Sospiri, chissà perché.